live from the Black Rock Man Cave. Ooh, I've always wanted to be in that. <laughs> We've never been there. Yeah, never invited. It's a yes, mom. We're going to play the good game in 2023 episode of Business Pants. Yeah. Joined as always by the Lord of BS. I'm the guy who Larry Fink keeps mistakenly referring to as one of his least favorite Uber drivers. What's the deal with that? Why are you driving an Uber? Well, why? I I thought I was pretty nice I you to were Larry. Professional. In today's don't bury the lead, please. ESG stained bag of excellence scented nuggets called January nineteenth, twenty twenty three. The good game featuring our first fancy expert of the year, Strive Asset Managers co-founder and executive chair Vivek Ramaswamy. Matt, you want to do yeah. any more introductions in that? Like uh, Vivek, you want to Look, introduce yourself? I don't know or? that Vivek needs a lot of introduction to our audience we talk about vivek a lot we talk about you all the time because we simultaneously like and hate half the things you're doing which Just is like, the but best that's, that's what we think about everybody though so you're in good <laughs> yeah. company don't yeah. worry that's that's but, also what i say to my wife so it's win-win uh, everywhere percent's a pretty good pretty good ratio i'll take that yeah, yeah. i know you were winning but yeah uh vivek is is a startup founder he wrote woke inc he founded Strive Asset Management. Vivek's the, uh, you're the, what would you call yourself? The tip of the spear of the anti-woke the movement? The tip of the bit? spear. Wow, I like this. You know, I don't like to think of myself so as being violent. anything. I think of myself as being uh, as the tip of the spear of the pro-excellence movement. That's Ooh, wow. Pro-excellence. Okay. I like that rephrase. Who's nice. Before we get going, Vivek, who exactly is anti-excellence? Is, that, is there a person who's against excellence? <laughs> I'm a little bit. Really? <laughs> I think there are a lot of people who are against excellence. Okay. They're, they're against unapologetic pursuit of excellence because they're in favor of other affirmative values like equity. Equity is probably... And equity is... Equity. We're already getting into it. Equity is anti-excellence? I find equity, equity to be excellent. Okay. Good. Yeah, we have a lot to discuss then. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do this yeah. thing. We're going to play the good game, Vivek. I'll explain it to you. I'll explain it to our audience. Here's how the good game started, very simply. Cool. My mother, my actual mother... Uh, who is who was an avid listener? I don't know. Sometimes our okay. our, yeah, our charting goes up, goes down. One time she said to me, "Why do you guys complain so much? Why don't you have some good stuff, good stories?" So we developed the good game, and this is how it works. I pick headlines that feel good to me, and okay. then I and then I ask experts like yourself, like Matt, to tell me to actually weigh in. Is it actually good? Is this really good, or am I just a, a an idiotic snowflake? Right? Mostly that. And I'm wearing a winter hat, so maybe I am. I like that those are the only two options. So yeah. <laughs> well, we, we, you don't know me that well. Okay. If, we, if we could do this in all binaries, that's useful. Yeah. It's funny that most labels describing me start with the adjective idiotic. I'll have to look into that. But. Yeah, your, your, your screenplate used to be just Damien Rollis, comma, idiot. All right, enough flattery. It's savant, too. Yeah. That's, that's, that's true. <laughs> I'm, that's I'm, good. All right, does that make sense yeah. to you, Vivek? Are you ready to handle yeah. this? I know you have a time uh, time constraint, so let's just get into it. Let's get into it. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, here we go. Just to annoy Matt, little uh, little uh, game show music there for you, Matt. Oh, God, I hate Here we go. The first headline. Microsoft is giving, uh, this is a softball. Microsoft is giving its U.S. employees unlimited time off. See, these are all ESG adjacent headlines, Vivek. E, S, so, or G. Yeah, go yeah. ahead, Matt. So I'll go first, um, just to set the tone. So research by some random company that I don't, I've never heard of, namely, found that employees, when given unlimited time off by their companies, actually only took 
0.73 days off on average, more than they already had. Okay. They took less than one extra day. This feels like the ultimate corporate head fake. Like it feels like we're here. We're gonna give you. It's like internal greenwashing. Yeah, we're gonna it is. give you. We're gonna give you unlimited time off. You should love us, and then we're gonna give you twice as much right. work, and you're Come never on. gonna give me take a score. It. Give so me a score. I'm giving this a two out of ten. I don't like it. Vivek, I'm giving it a five straight down the fairway, and here's why. Yeah, let's hear it. I actually don't mind the policy, and I've run a you know biotech company before. It's a you know multi-billion-dollar company today. I've stepped aside as CEO, but I had experiences as an entrepreneur before. My experience was different. Mm -hmm. I actually found that experience that employees took less vacation when you offer when you got rid of vacation limitations in the first place. So in a certain right. sense, vacations were a forcing function to force. Now that's the kind of the culture we had. It was a younger company, a startup. It's not Microsoft. But uh, what I will say is I don't have a problem with the policy, but why I'm at a five is I have a problem with announcing it and making a big fuss out of it, okay. right? Because that's, that's about sending a signal about something else than what the policy can actually be, which is about autonomy and about the fact that we make decisions based on merit. And as long as it's pro-meritocracy, I'm in favor of it to say that we don't care what well, amount of vacation days you take. We, you get ahead of the company based on the content. So what signal do you think they're trying to send? I think they're trying to send a signal that is apologist to a generation of Americans Interesting. That, that believe that hard work is somehow an assault on their identity. And, and I think there's a big epidemic of laziness in the country. And I think that they're trying to send a smoke signal saying that, don't worry, we're on your side. When, in fact, it doesn't have to be that. It can actually be a policy that enhances personal autonomy and agency. Now, did you develop this theory on laziness just when you joined this show? Just when you just like five <laughs> minutes ago? Or is this something you've been thinking about? Epidemic of laziness no, seems... It's, it's a good question. Um, you know, I, uh, I developed... It's, it's, so it's a subject of... It's a core pillar in my second book, actually, okay. which came out. This, so Woke Inc. was the first one you mentioned. I had a second book that came out this last September. And my basic premise, one of my basic premises in that book is success. Our national success breeds entitlement. Mm -hmm. Entitlement then breeds laziness. And that's what leads to victimhood because victimhood basically you know, fits laziness like a glove. It sounds like you're talking about uh, rich kids in suburbs. That's what I'm thinking about when you're talking about. <laughs> it does feel it's that way. It's definitely is the place that? where you see it. It's one of the places where you see it. It's not the only place you see All it. Right. But it's Moving on. Matt, you got something to say? You look you look anxious over there. Can I move on? No, I'm not anxious. We have limited I, time. I, limited I, I, time. It's like a, I simultaneously agree and feel know, like but, epidemic is strong. See, Vivek is, is maybe a future politician because if he's answering five, I think he's he's playing both That's sides. That's good. That's a good he's Playing hedge. both sides. You're not like going to get that from me, actually. I don't get a lot of playing both. I'm, I'm at a one and a ten on that. I'm right. at a, I'm, I actually love the policy. Well, I hate the PR. Okay. I like that. Uh, moving on, next headline, 97% of top executives expect climate change to impact company strategy and operations. This is from Deloitte, 97%. I mean, yeah. so this is one of those surveys. They surveyed 2,000 C-suite executives in 24 countries, but almost half of them were basically European. Um, mm -hmm. So there's already a sort of a slant in it. Um, but most of the companies, more than half of them were 2 billion plus revenue. So they're big companies for the most part. I, my actually, I, I had to cheat and yeah. read the survey sure. because the bottom five things like, so they listed in there, like the positive impacts of sustainability. What were the top five positive impacts of their sustainability efforts. And in the bottom five responses, they included investor returns, new revenue, asset values, cost of capital, and like old revenue, effectively recurring revenue. 
effectively they said by doing sustainability they're saying climate change is going go, have an impact on our strategy and by doing it it will cost us money which to me is the incentive gap you're just you're just you just described like you're not you know it's going to have an impact mm -hmm. and you're not going to do anything about it most likely or you're just going to do the bare minimum because of the potential cost to capital and revenue in the short term. Matt, was there a number in there somewhere? Yeah, if I know I don't know. I <laughs> Yeah. I feel like it's it's good that they expect it, but fucking do something. I'm gonna go with the three. Okay. Ooh, Vivek? Is he 1. right? Ooh, I'm pretty ooh, just so you know, on this show, I, I run up to all whole numbers. I don't play decimals. So. <laughs> well, if you're going to round up, then I would just give you a 1.4 so you can make it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> See, I don't know how to round up from 1.4. I'm, I'm stymied. Right, go <laughs> ahead. Why, why a one, Vivek? Yeah, so look, I think that there's a little bit of a Heisenberg uncertainty dilemma going on here. Okay, mm -hmm. what do I mean by that? Yeah. By by observing, I actually by know, I actually know this. Mm -hmm. phenomenon, right? That they're changing the underlying phenomenon. They're leading the witness, and so I I would venture to guess that if you actually deductively conducted that survey and right. asked people what are the top issues that you expect to impact your business or whatever is the way they want to phrase it, as unbiased as they can, you get answers from executives that are specific to their business. One, two, three, four, and five. I don't think climate change shows up on most of those lists. I just don't think it does. I think that if you're a semiconductor company, China invading Taiwan might show up, which isn't a particularly popular trope in the ESG movement. That would show up on, should show up on an Intel or an NVIDIA list. But anyway, there are other business-specific risks and opportunities and, and issues that would show up. But you lead the witness with the question about climate change. What else do you expect to get? Well, and so I think that's a big part of what's going on here. Well, here's what I don't understand: whether you're whether you're for climate change or against, blah blah. Well, I don't care. There's, there's political sides to all this. Isn't there money to be made from it from both sides? I, this is why I don't get. I mean, Even if you think it's it's nonsense, what, money to be made from what? From the PR around it? From the perception? Sure, of money's it? money. Who cares? Money's money being made. I don't care. Money's being made around the perception for sure. Sure, great. But money's made around the perception of, of many things in our society. Let's be real, right? But I do right? think, look, if the executives, I also think that the bias in a survey like this is like, the, to make it to the C-suite, you are generally, on average, in your 50s or 60s, right? You tend to be older, right? Unless you're like a young startup and you're in the C-suite or whatever. But the, we're not talking, we're talking about 2 billion plus in revenue and we're talking about European companies where everyone's basically like a dinosaur. Those aren't people who are going to live to see the impacts of climate change. Therefore, their lists might be different based on just their life, their, the experiences of their life and what they're worried about because they're worried about tomorrow. But if you asked Intel, because you use Intel as an example, Intel is interesting to me because, right, they just turned off water to a municipality outside of Phoenix in Arizona. And Intel has one of their major plants, their semiconductor plants in Arizona where there's no water. I actually think some of these things are more top of mind. It depends on, uh, to your point, uh, the bias of the question, who you're asking, and um, where they are. I, I, I do think that, like, I, I, I don't think that it's top of mind for 97% of executives. Like, it's <laughs> not, like, the thing that they go home and they're like, honey, I'm really worried about the climate today. There's yeah, no man, fucking I, way. In Phoenix, they might be. I'm not. Enough, I mean, I'm, I've I've lived in corporate America. I'm an asset manager. You know, invest in these companies. Talk to some of them. But here's here's what I'll say. There's two separate questions, and I got to be careful not to conflate my views on the two. The question of number one is should it be on their top five list? Right. And then right. the second question is 
is it is it is it is it that's what we're talking about so i'm going to try to try to leave my own views on the first question out in fairness to this i still think this is leading the witness and it is just sociologically my view that if you ask that blank slate question for somebody who shows up at work on a given day even if they're a European, you know, or, you know, I would say educated aristocrat in the ways of modern lexicons of how you're supposed to talk about social issues. Even still, if you ask them on a given day, what are the top five issues in your mind for your business or however you want to frame the question, climate change is just not going to show up on that top five list until you lead the witness that they know exactly what they're supposed to say. Well, of course it is climate yeah, change. I- I, that's exa- that voice is exa- is what I think they're like at home with their monocle it's on. The voice like, of my head. Head. <laughs> uh, Moving on, and, and feel free not to filibuster. Playing oh, the, shut up! Playing the good game uh, with Vivek Ramaswamy and Matt Muscardi, ESG expert. He even has the did, did MSCI I my, did MSCI I, give you that T-shirt? No, like, I didn't retire. No, MSCI didn't give me this. No. All right. Uh, here's the headline: Women CEOs, other, otherwise known as female CEOs, you could do either interchangeable, women, female, whatever you want, <laughs> run more than 10% of Fortune 500 companies for the first time in history. 10%. Woo! Come on, is that yeah. good or bad, or or, or neither? Or come on, someone help me out. I mean, I, I don't care. Is the answer? Okay, I, that's I, not a score. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> that's yeah. a, I, it feels I, I like five-ish. To, well, okay. Yeah. Let me let me put it this way. Let me from a different perspective. As we know, women are are much be- more educated than men, as it turns on out. On average, on just average, on average, yeah, yeah. Sure. So is, maybe this is a good thing. So can I just ask a question? Yeah. Why isn't the headline about what percentage of educated people run companies, and why do we have to use a low resolution heuristic if that's actually what we care about? Right. I mean, that, I, that's really that's not what this is about. This is not about a heuristic of are more competent people running companies because there would have been plenty of ways to adjudicate that question other than retrofitting it and shoehorning it into two, well, two binary genders. Uh, and then and there's a question of whether or not there are, you know, other versions of genders that you're shoehorning it into. But why shoehorn the question of competence into gender if that's really the thing you care about? If you care about competence, talk about competence. If you care about diversity of experience, screen people or talk about the diversity so, of experience. So well, it's about the, social yeah. and, But the and, reason and why the headline... Experience. But the reason why the headline exists. Wait, wait, wait. Like before, wait, before you talk, Vivek, is there a score there? <laughs> I mean, like, I just, I, 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 I just like, I would take, just take a. I don't care about this question, so if that puts me at a one, <laughs> okay, me, that's fair. One, you know what? You're joining a, you're joining a, a, a good group here because Matt often doesn't care about my. I don't uh, care about half question. of the things that he picks up. <laughs> Matt, um, what do you think here, Matt? My problem with it is the yeah. reason why the heuristic exists that the focus is on gender and not competence is because if you flip this headline and you say just under 90% of CEOs are white men, effectively white men. And it's not going to be 90%. It's going to be like 86%, right? Um, There is no way mathematically or statistically that 86% of white men are more qualified to be CEOs than any other cohort. Like, I I just can't. And maybe it's... It it, it can't be possible, can it? it, Maybe it's that I can't believe that. I I can't can't even talk to it, but... I'll give you a possibility. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you can react to it. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's not right. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not advancing this theory, but I'm offering it as sure. something possibility. Okay, that for 50 years in this country, as you said, many of these people are going to be in their 60s. So, like, let's trace back to when they were like 10 years old or okay. even younger. Were there differences in the 1960s and 1970s with respect to how people got an educational head start? based on the color of their skin or based on their gender. 
Yeah, no I doubt. Think probably were. Sure. Were those differences big? I think they probably were. Right. And so if you roll that forward into the present and competence and effectiveness and whatever were your sole arbiter, and that those early starts do make a difference over the course of one's educational arc and then one's entry into the marketplace, that it wouldn't shock me that if the groups that were ahead 50, 60 years ago, even getting that early head start, did indeed be the people who and members of groups that were overrepresented in those that were so, most so the new so the new would agree that in 10 to 20 years we should see this figure even out then i think so if, yeah, if, if opportunity right. were the only metric and well, merit were the only metric i think we're going to naturally see an equilibration without a quota driven top-down system and not to not to weigh down my wonderful game because i know we have limited time and i'm already pre-inviting you back to to join us again join us regularly if you want but 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 let me just ask you this how and i got maybe there's not there's definitely not enough time for you to answer this so you can just shoot me a dirty look or whatever you want but how does how does one even define competence excellence merit like who who gets to define that do i get to define that i would love to get a crack we did. at it we made board I saber organization i think each institution should define it for itself okay. and it should fall out of purpose out of what is its core purpose okay. okay if you're a if you're disney they say their sole their goal is to be the world's premier entertainment company if you're a university presumably your mission is to educate students and and sure. your, your your you know students whatever age they are Whatever your purpose is, mm-hmm. excellence means, merit means, hiring the kinds of people that best help you advance that purpose, seeking out the diversity of individuals and attributes and views that allow you to best advance that purpose. And it would be curious to me if the same forms of off-the-shelf formulas that showed up in three-letter acronyms from ESG to DEI happened to be the exact same formula for institutions that had divergent, diverse purposes in their own right. And so that's why that's why I have a, a little bit of antecedent skepticism, as you probably guess, yeah. to the three-letter yeah. formula off-the-shelf model of borrowing corporate purpose, as opposed to each institution and corporation defining it for themselves. They've yeah. got to define right. what excellence means to them. That's what I would say. Matt, is he right? I, yeah. <laughs> he, he gave right. a one. I'm looking for your number, Matt. Uh, I'm giving it a five because it's really hard to celebrate. That's not a real like, answer, but that's a, t- fine. a ten percent. Like it's um, it doesn't sound good. I, yeah, but I honestly the 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 acronyms. The funny thing about the acronyms is they're they're pointless. Like I'll tell you from yeah. the inside, and this is a conversation we should have like again. Yeah, next from the time. inside, next time. having built these things, like they're they're it's data sets. It's randomly organized data sets, and it's just data sets. The, it's, a mar- the, it's a marketing gimmick. We it's, li- it's, we lived through the combination of E S and G. I started as G. Matt started as S. It's a marketing gimmick. That's I mean, as it's a marketing gimmick, but that has, in my opinion, a discursive impact on the way people actually think. So the people who originate it and, and know how to use it and interpret it, like you all, may see through the fact that it's a marketing gimmick. Right. That has a it's it's like back to that Heisenberg effect, the Heisenberg principle. You have an underlying impact on the supposed thing that you're describing or measuring, including a new generation that is so hungry for a cause and purpose and meaning that join these companies that actually take these as cues for how they're supposed to think, largely because they were cultivated in a generation where they weren't taught to think independently anyway. So this goes to deep-seated cultural issues, but what begins as a marketing gimmick can actually have cultural externalities. For and just so you know, Vivek, we're the only ones who we're the only ones who come from this industry who are willing to call it a marketing game. We're the only so, ones. Who, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. I mean, but, but, and I also, I also like taking the best versions of why, mm-hmm. you know, these, these movements exist, which if I may just finish that on the, finish that point here. Sure. I think that 
I, I talked about those inequalities or whatever 60 years ago that could account for a meritocratic decision-making system that was still resulted in those kinds of disparities, but should naturally close. I think a core part of the authentic, not the marketing, I don't think, I don't think it's all a marketing gimmick, personally. I think that there are certain oh, authentic yeah. believers in advancing social agendas that say, you know what, those are inequalities that we need to address mm -hmm. by rectifying and penalizing the groups of people who perpetrated them. And we need quota systems that elevate the victim groups that were harmed. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I think it's a coherent and interesting point of view. Right. That's what I think is actually going on in the authentic version of this. But what I what I sort of chafe at in this industry is that largely because the law demands it in certain cases, you retrofit that into some justification about this being about value creation or merit or, or you know creating value. Well, that's the, the marketing angle. Well, yeah, but, but that's, not, that's not really what's at issue. It's not the motivation. It's an ex post justification that stops us from having the real debate about how you rectify historical injustices, which is a much more interesting debate, just not one we're allowed to have because the Matt, sustainability movement has decided it's about value creation in the last 18 months. Matt, let me translate that for you. What he's, uh, I'll put it in terms that you'll understand. So, like, if you're playing basketball and you, get, and you get fouled, right? Yeah. You can then go to the free throw line to to make up those points. You understand? Yeah. All uh, the, the funny part about ESG to me, or DEI even, is the the reason why we talk about it at all is because a bunch of morons, and uh -oh. I was one of those morons, and so is Damien, like 20 no, years ago, I collected wasn't. as much of the data as we could. Not because we had, I, and I can tell you this from the people I knew and the way that we did it, right? So this is like it's relatively apocryphal in as much as it's my experience. We collected everything without necessarily knowing what had value. Disclosure nerds. We were disclosure nerds. We yeah, were literally still, were still like, am. the more I know, I the better I Me, can make I love a decision. Yeah. And then when you hand that data to anybody else, I used to say to this, uh, this to clients all the time, like the, the ESG movement was all, was all about disclosure. And as soon as you you hand Gordon Gecko a bunch of information, he's going to do something with it. And it may not be what the nuns of St. Francis do with it. They're yeah, so just going to do I'm it differently. I'm familiar with that argument. And I think it like, it's, it's a great, and I think, I think you mean it when you say it, I think it's a great yeah. packaging yeah. to appeal to people who have capitalist instincts and are traders. I'm going to, I, I'm just, you know, having fun and you know, being provocative yep. to you. No, please. You don't have to apologize for being yeah, you. I don't apologize. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're not asking for that. Be yeah. polite, okay? No, uh, no, no. I, I think that that's basically like a macho uh, sort of veneer that you're mm. wrapping around something that you don't have to apologize for either. Sure, okay. okay. I think that the, the, the disclosure wrapper around this, I think is mostly fake because the question of what you select as an attribute for True. disclosure involves a normative choice true and of so course question, yeah. of course questions are descriptive but the selection of questions is not descriptive it's normative we and so that. i just don't buy the gordon gecko it's supposed to design to like appeal to people who are like presumably my old hedge fund friends and like yeah we're cool we just want to make money and we just care about the stuff environmental and social stuff not because we have a heart but because we want to like make money and it's about like disclosure i think it's mostly bs and, and I'm, I'm very familiar with that argument I just, it just doesn't resonate well, with me. Well, here's, but here's a question, yeah. question for you, curiosity. And, and, and you maybe you'll just, I'm really curious, maybe the answer is yes. Did you collect data on political viewpoints and whether or not they were registered members of one major political we, party? No, but we would have if we could have. But if we could have gotten it. We want that information. Gordon Gecko. Yeah, but if we could have gotten, honestly, like, 
uh, like I'll tell you that one of the first things that blew my mind. Well, it's contributions. It's public information. It's, it's public information that's not trackable to to corporations easily. Yeah, it's actually that is trackable to corporations very easily because one of the things you're required to do when you make a political donation is actually if if you made a political donation if and, and we made need a political this, donation and the data only works if you have it to scale for for the entire board for every for every not just the U.S. but you know the entire globe. Yeah, you need, like, here's the thing. Here's what I think yeah, is actually go going ahead. on, and I just want to challenge you guys with this. And you challenge do me it. back, and it's fun. Yeah. So, so I think that. The reason you didn't collect that data, and I'm not super personalizing this, but a lot of people don't collect that data is they don't want the answer when it comes to diversity on other oh, attributes. Yeah. And, and, the, and the answer, look at NASDAQ, right? So, so NASDAQ had this rule change, right? You'd yeah. explain yourself, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, if you yeah. didn't, didn't collect the information on you know, race, sexual orientation, gender, and explain yourself if you don't have diversity on certain attributes. Well, it turns out when you propagate a rule change in this country, the SEC, which governs NASDAQ, it's the regulator of the exchanges, has to go through a notice and comment period. So public is to provide comments. Somebody says, hey, how about we add just, I'm not against that. How about we just add veteran dis, veteran and disability status to the list? They didn't even say political expression, which I think is an interesting, better arbiter of, a better proxy for viewpoint diversity. Supposedly, this was about preventing groupthink in the boardroom. Why not just screen candidates for the for boards on the diversity of their experiences or the diversity of their ideas instead of using these half-hearted heuristics? But anyway, let's put political expression on one side, which I actually think is a better proxy for a viewpoint difference. No, these people just said, can we add veteran status and disability status? Because it might be a better heuristic for at least diversity of experience. Here's what they came back and said, after consideration, we've decided that there's a counterintuitive conclusion that adding more arbiters or more distinctions of diversity would have the impact of reducing the desired forms of diversity. So with all due respect, mm-hmm. don't give Look, me a quote gecko speech that no. this is about disclosure and more information. He's talking to you, Matt. Yeah, but that, but, but yeah. what NASDAQ does and what we collected is two very different things. Like the, the, like, so, so NASDAQ, I disagree with NASDAQ. I want that information too. And in fact, in 2007, I mean, you say that now because you have to, but, but no, I, re- I really don't. I, but we built something called board saber metrics in which we are collecting political donations to the extent that we can and mapping them to individuals on boards to understand what is the political diversity. The whole thing we built when we left the machine, when we built in 2007 ESG ratings, there yeah. wasn't that much information. I'll there, give you was, another one. I'll give you, I mean, this is just maybe just helpful. This is less about the argument. What part of the country they grew up in, whether, yeah, or, not self, whether or not they're self-reported, whether they grew up in, not that they live in, that they grew up in, their household income, whether or not it was in the 25th, 50th, 70th median percentile or, or median percentile of 25th, 50th or 75th. I think those are interesting arbiters of data. By the way, yeah, we agree. Self-reporting. Well, guess what? You have to self-report your sexual orientation anyway. So, so, so I think that I think, I think you have an argument. Intellectually, with- honestly, I have no problem with it. I just think there is no intellectual honesty in this, and it is disclosure as a veneer for advancing an agenda. And the idea that it's just about more information it is a bit of a smokescreen and a deflection for the fact that the selection of the attributes is really just about quietly using an invisible hand of a different kind to actually guide decisions in a certain direction. I think there's two things that are true. I think you downplay how difficult it was in 2007 to get the data at scale in a way that was useful, right? We're talking about 15, 16 years ago. Mm -hmm. The big, the data that we have today didn't even exist. We were, we, we scraped as much as we possibly could because we literally did not care. We wanted to know 
not. I hear you. Fair enough. Yeah. Unless I'm a critique of you, because I, I don't no, know. No, about no, no. I'm, I'm telling you the inside guts yeah. of, the, of a lot of the industry. I think there are a lot of people. It would be disingenuous for me to say there that weren't people with agendas. But when it came to like inside a beast like MSCI, who's run by a libertarian who could give two fucks about like really saving the planet, I think you know when we were building, we're we were building something with an ethos of what is out there, what don't we know, right. what can we collect, and I think what, what on the governance side in particular, yeah. like like are they left or right handed? Because there's actually studies that show like people with left and right hands actually have different perceptions of the world. Are they? It's stupid stuff. We look for everything. It's not stupid stuff. It might be interesting stuff. But my point is, can, can, can you tell me if this is true or false? Just like honest introspection here, and not yeah, of yeah, yourself, yeah. but of your of, of yeah the industry. Peers. Your collective peers. Yeah, yeah. We, who we don't speak for, but go yeah, ahead. It seems to me. Well, you know, I mean, but kind you can of. channel it because I'm more of a sure. more of a foreigner in your. But, do, but don't forget, we we left MSCI to create this to company. create something that was different. because we yeah. wanted to have a voice. We we, we you know we want like a minority yeah. party in a country where I'm an immigrant. So right. just talk to me. <laughs> Just, you know, let's with that trope, you can still help me, right? You're yeah. better at knowing what the majority party it, in your country it. thinks. Okay. So I don't, here's the, I'm going to offer a hypothesis and mm -hmm. then you tell me that it's, you know, right or wrong. I don't think that we'd be talking about left-handed and right-handed and all of the other stuff that now gets added to that list of the implicit bias and and, and whatever else we're, we're supposed to track for here in, in tracking proxies for desired forms of viewpoint diversity if it weren't for mostly an ex post justification to deflect criticisms from people like me that claim that the agenda was something other than just dispassionately collecting information about all forms of diversity my hypothesis is that this is about race gender and sexual orientation there are deep pitfalls and even self-acknowledged pitfalls that the proponents of collection of such data acknowledge and realize that even if it's not deflection for the purpose of external purposes, even internally to feel intellectually honest after the fact, they add a bunch of other attributes. But let's say we were all the same race and, and sexual orientation and gender were not an issue, that we would not be tracking these other attributes, but for a little bit of a tail that came on and joined for the fun of actually making us feel like this was intellectually honest. Uh, Tell me that's not 100%. I, uh, Matt, hold on. I, I'll let Matt answer this, but but can I just give you the sobering reality of where this actually started? I know I know that people are really fixated on things like gender and sexual orientation. Really on it right great, now, that's yeah. great. But the sobering reality of, of where the, the, at least the G in ESG started was the collapse of Enron, right? And and how can we identify? We're not talking about, not talking hold about on, G. Hold on. No, we are. We're talking about all of it. This is because because this, this is a part of it. It's, the G is what you're describing. If you're just describing gender stats, and it's part of it. It's who is running the company, right? So the sobering reality is that people wanted a way to to maybe potentially identify risks going forward. I That's know. It. I, I think you should. I agree with that. But you're I, but you're I, the one fixating well, think, on these things, and I'm glad that you're fixating on it. Well, you are. <laughs> well, I think. But we I need say, to back but up. I talk Look, about women who run companies. You're fixated on competence. I don't even know where you get that, frankly. I don't understand I think, that line I think of thought. We need to I think there's a history lesson piece of this, which yeah. is I already the gave whole it, disclosure <laughs> movement 
first of all, it started 3000 years ago with religious investors, right? Like it was about yeah, yeah. like what business lines right. or whatever. The the birth of like modern ESG was was GRI, which is the disclosure tool built off of environmental issues and the Exxon Valdez spill, spill. It had nothing. In fact, none of the early GRIs asked anything about like gender. There was no gender politic well, involved was the, in that it was at the all. G, it was right. yeah. it was it was the the people piece of this actually wasn't interesting until Enron when mm-hmm. people started asking who's running these companies, who's doing the audits, why are they doing it this way? And then you start gathering the data on those kinds of things. What happens afterwards? And I'm telling you this from the viewpoint of people who built the thing, right? What happens afterwards start that is the unintended consequence. Cuz when you put the data out in the world, there are millions of people are going to see it and attach their own agendas to it as in as they will anything anything anything, like m&ms whatever they do they'll put it under their lens we can't help when we read these headlines some of our reactions are actually very similar to yours like yeah why are we focused on this way instead of like 10 years ago we were focused on the other way and we have like some of the same reactions the use the using it is is a different sort of History is like a scatter plot, and you draw some straight lines through it, and you drew an interesting one. I'll draw you another one. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I mean, again, the, the lines you draw through a scatter plot are often a normative choice, right? Sure. And the scatter plot I would say they always plot. are, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they, they almost always are, unless it's unless it's tethered to some sort of formula derived from law of physics in the universe of how you... Right, but we're talking about finance and public capital. Yeah, right, yeah. So we're on the same page there. So, so self-admittedly, I'll draw you a different one that... That's a, you know, it's, an, it's not objective. It's it's a narrative, but it's a mm-hmm. but it's a narrative that that is nonetheless supported by the facts every bit as much as your narrative just was. I think what happened was after the 2008 financial crisis, there was a need for financial institutions, capitalism broadly, to apologize for the Gordon Gecko model of capitalism, and they didn't. They wanted to do it without actually submitting and bending the knee to the Occupy Wall Street demands, which called for decimating the whole system. And they saw a fissure in two wings of a progressive movement that both of which were after accountability. And by the way, I was also an opponent of the bailouts like many movements in the progressive movement were at that time. I got my first job at a hedge fund in the fall of 2007. That, that earned an honorable mention in Michael Lewis's book, The Big Short. I mean, I, I, I lived this stuff. I watched it. Okay. Mm-hmm. What happened was that Occupy Wall Street wanted to take money from those wealthy banks and redistribute it to poor people to help poor people. Because after all, the money in their balance sheets was largely the money provided by the public. You know, paid for by taxpayers. I think it was an interesting claim, and and one that I at least had some sympathy for, even if that wasn't the policy solution I would have favored. But right around that time, there was the birth of a new neo-progressive movement that said, "Well, there's other problems that we need to deal with: racism, misogyny, bigotry, climate change on the list." Right. And if you're a financial institution, that's a much more appealing solution to embrace those causes rather than to submit to the most naked demands of the Occupy Wall Street movement. And that's exactly what happened. To embrace those causes by, by name only or an actual, uh, an actual yeah, policy? Yeah, because they didn't embrace By name and by as much yeah. minimal action as you could take to plausibly support the... the, the so by greenwashing, you mean by embrace it in a greenwashy way, is that what you mean? Well, and, 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 and I don't think total greenwashing works. So right. embrace it to whatever minimal level of action you need to take to support the alleged green label or the three-letter acronymized label to get them off, to get the left off your back. Mm-hmm. That's what they I, did. The old I left on Wall Street, they did it. 
And, and I, think, I think that's effectively what happened is that they lent as little of their corporate power as they could, but lent corporate power nonetheless to defang Occupy Wall Street and elevate this new racial, gender, identity, climate change obsessed progressive movement. Well, I, I think arranged marriage between two sides. They didn't love each other. Right. It's kind of like mutual prostitution. But they're bedfellows. They each got something out of the trade. And that's the story of the last 14 years. I don't think that I well, first of all, I think that your the timeline is way like shorter than you think, as in they didn't do that until much more recently. But I'll say this. But the old stuff was something different. I'm saying that it, 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 the, the character of it changed, even though ESG came out in 2004 and, and S, social responsible investing was before that. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of some of this history. I'm no, I'm talking to- about their embrace of it, like their embrace of the products. The product launches didn't happen really in earnest like the the greenwashy like let's let's all remodel ourselves as sustainable we we actually launched this company in part to make fun of how fucking ridiculous like some of these like because you get these you know it's like oh now we're saving the world oh yeah yesterday you weren't though that stuff actually didn't happen chief neil or jamie diamond yes yeah we call them yeah. chief neil it w- that was like 2017 2018 well, like it was later it's a crescendo. I mean, I'll take you back to 2012. Okay, so and this is, traces directly to the 2008 origin story. Perhaps what I'm going to, about to tell you, you may not know, and most audience members won't know. But it's it's interesting, I think, at least interesting to people like me who are into this stuff, mm-hmm. right? So, so the big banks had reached meg, mega, like publicly announced settlements with the Obama Justice Department, the DOJ, mm-hmm. like five billion for Goldman. It was like 13 billion for some of the other banks. Big, big dollar settlements for the alleged sins heading up to the 2008 financial crisis. Now, it turns out the Obama administration wanted to fund a lot of causes that a Tea Party Congress said they're not going to be willing to fund, including donations to nonprofits like the National Urban League and La Raza and you know, a bunch of others. Anyway, they made a closed room deal with those big banks where they said, actually, you know what? Here's the press release we put out for how much your fines are, but we can give you a two for one discount, or even in some cases, a three for one discount. For every dollar you give to one of these nonprofits, you owe three less, three fewer dollars to the public fisc. Banks, being fond of money, took that trade and actually makes for a much better press release to say that you're donating to a nonprofit rather than paying a criminal penalty. Oh, and by the way, many of those are 501c3s that get you tax deductible, you know, charitable deduction on your net income. So everyone got something out of that trade, but it was the beginning of, again, this trend of advancing substantive social agendas at some cost but at a cost that was still smaller than what the alternative would have been. And you haven't seen a trend like this four or five years isn't really that long of a time. It's just a crescendo. Uh, I would, I would actually, when Trump pulls out of Paris climate, then, 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 you know, then there's a new reawakening that says, you know, business leaders, if government leaders aren't going to solve the problem, business leaders have to step up into the void. Then they start believing their own lie and start feeling sanctimonious about it. And that gets us to where we are. I I would argue with you that this, I call this like the pitch, the pitchfork on fire theory. I would argue that this has been going on forever. And that is that the leaders of our world and our nation they realize that they sense they feel when people are starting to come for them right and they need to to kind of dole out pittances or statements or whatever to keep the masses to quell the masses to quiet the but this has been going on forever this is not a new thing well i don't social media is a new thing and it and it pushes out the narrative 
in a way that makes you think there's a cacophony of this, but this is not new. I'm not saying this hasn't been happening for all of human history. This is just the version that's happening now. I don't think think it's that coordinated. So so one one thing, it's very... It's not not coordinated like a conspiracy. There's people who think people get in front of smoke-filled Yeah, it's not like a Soros-y thing, right? It's it's not a conspiracy (laughs) smoke-filled room. It's it's what I call emergent conspiracy. It's just... There could be a conspiracy. Let's not forget, Matt, that when we first started this in 2019, was it that yeah. uh, the first target we made fun of was the business roundtable for pretending for, yeah, pre- well, for pretending to support that was bullshit for pretending to support stakeholder capitalism. We knew it was bullshit, and that was really our first target. So, in a sense, it, it what there was a kind of a collective effort to pretend to be into stakeholder but we, capitalism. But but I think actually there th- 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 you have to draw a line between what is said by the corporations and and honestly their ability to That's push out the narrative on social media is actually the biggest differentiator like because the crescendo doesn't exist without a way to get that messaging out and social media is the way and it's controlled by three people right like the entirety of social media we could have like hours on social media i have so much that i'm tempted to i gotta roll but you gotta bounce this well, you is, are coming back, right? You I'm are returning. This is fun. Yeah, we right. just this is the we real conversation. Wait till I you see our bill, though. Wait till you see how much we charge you for this appearance. <laughs> Vivek, you can bounce. Uh, Damien and I will wrap up. The first, Thank you our for first guest the to, first... to destroy my good game. You completely destroyed my game. You so destroyed I, the game, but yeah, that's okay. That's the that's best okay. way to do it. We'll talk to you soon, Vivek. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Vivek. Uh, Matt, do you want to? Do you want to? Uh, reflect on our visit from our fancy expert or would you like to um yeah i think before before you wrap on that in our first ever uh abridged good game i want to report i still want to report the scores because we have a lot of geeks at home that like to know these things do we (laughs) yeah matt you came in at a three and vivid came in at a two so you're both pessimistic a-holes okay so it was not great yeah I, i i think I think there's a lot. First of all, I don't understand the focus on DEI. I look, this really is this is a thing that I don't. I, I find it fascinating that he went right from a headline about female CEOs into competence. I, I it is a weird, and it's not just Vivek. It's it's this no, entire it's the entire movement of this theater. It is a. I, I yeah. I don't get the. It is a little alarming that like the over focus on DEI. I don't I, really I understand don't, it. I don't know why we would fight against like it, it presupposes that that. Anyone diverse is not competent. Like, it's a, it's a, as and if, it's a sad thing to admit out as loud. As if the that companies you think that. Yeah. adding diversity are are adding them because they're less competent and they feel like they have to add. What them for company would would ever do that? Zero. Yeah. yeah. Zero no. companies would do that that yeah. I can think of. Like we've studied companies for twenty years, and I can't think of a single company that would just be like you a know publicly what we're traded do? corporation. A publicly we're traded add corporation. add a CEO <laughs> who we know a, is stupid, <laughs> who's an idiot. We know is a, is a product <laughs> of a bias system against <laughs> white men, <laughs> but because. They're Hispanic. We're gonna make them the same. Yeah, even no though way. they went to, even though they went to Harvard because uh, 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 of our diversity, we know they're an idiot. There's no, there's just yeah. no. We and you can't say like things like the pay gap. Like, oh, that's the competence gap, right? Like, they're not getting paid as <laughs> that's much just depress- because they're less depressing me. Competent. Just depressing me. I am ex- that I'm focus. Not, I'm actually excited to keep talking about this. To me. 
that's the, the one. That's the one area I do want to continue with him on is that is this focus on this this so called merit, the so called competency and excellence. I I do want to hear the methodology behind that. I I am. I I'm am, just I'm yeah. really confused by the focus on it though. Like why do we ha- why do we care that much about it? Like because I think uh, it's it, part of the theater of uh, these these cultural wars. I, I I think you're you're trying to foment uh, anger. You're trying to create battle but i don't get the upside like the day the upside is that you you guarantee the vote of an aggrieved white male i don't get why republicans do this anyway because it's like a limited audience that they're pandering to i I don't get why they only want aggrieved white men it's because it feels like a dying party if that's what you're gonna do but that you know but the second part i the second part i don't get in any way shape or form is we spent a lot of time where he wa- really wanted to, to to discredit the data because he said there was bias in choosing. But he also the data. likes the data too, I think. But I can't understand like he wanted you ha- the data. You wa- if you you're in finance, you want the data. If you've been in finance, all I've ever heard from anyone in finance was give me the data. That's that literally at for MSCI for yeah. fifteen years. All they said was your ratings are nice. Give us the data, right? I, like. I mean, I- yeah, I think we can talk about this with him next time. I think he's convinced that the that the the offices of these companies that we worked at, places like MSCI, is like an Occupy Wall Street rally, where in actuality <laughs> it is a bunch of dullards who really don't have an opinion one way or the other. I I I, mean, I so look, rarely it's... got engaged. My colleagues at these places so rarely were engaged in in politically active conversations that I don't know what people like Vivek imagine these places to be. And maybe he'll tell me that, okay, you know, the, the average analyst is maybe not this person, but you know, in the upper levels, they're having these heated discussions. I, I don't know. I never it heard was a it. Little I never funny saw it. for him to tell us what it was like for us to go. I like get it. I like it. Like, I, I enjoyed I, that it was nice. Um, I appreciated that, that he had a, 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 an opinion that he stuck with. I don't appreciate that. He blew up my good game. That's all I'm going to say. Well, who cares? Nobody cares about the good game, but I do think, I do think those That's two, absolutely not. True. You can't tell someone who said that they, care about it that nobody cares about it How the focus you? on those two things is just really deeply perplexing to me but that's like, the fo- well the, what, what do you care mean? That's, about that's the I'm, focus of this movement i mean i, mean, I get it. like that you you might be outraged that nasdaq sets a quota for you know um diversity on a board all right fine like you could be outraged about that write your comment letter sue nasdaq and and move on with your life but the or, whole like yeah. the whole but thing to his like, point though what i don't understand is that that or you might be outraged that I didn't, half the boards aren't aren't women because they are more educated. Like that could be a source of outrage too. I yeah I I don't understand why you would like the 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 reason why the like you want to purposefully ignore the reason why the quota gets put in place in the first place mm-hmm. because there is increasingly volumes of evidence that people are systematically eliminated from the pool of board applicants. Like we we know that we yeah, I I didn't have the heart to tell him that you did one of the studies. Why 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 cited. wouldn't you you should have why why wouldn't you have told? Oh, him I that? forgot about it because I don't care about you. The the only uh, the I enjoyed most of his opinions. The only opinion that I thought was literally coded in like a, a an, an off smelling kind of uh, uh, <laughs> excrement sense. was this bizarre th- thought that. Because 60 years ago, which maybe is the average age of a board member, maybe 55, 60, because in in that point in history in the American educational system, 
since women and people of he, color were not were, were having a bad <laughs> go of it that they're probably less educated that yeah, really that, i did not understand that one at that all. one that, wasn't that, that was creepy but that one was borderline creepy the rest it of it i enjoyed I, at, I enjoyed at yeah at least that point that's like, creepy i i creepy. understand that point no there's like, no there's not, no evidence in, to support that. There's no I'm evidence. I'm not saying to I that. agree with that point, but like yeah. that that coming at it from that lens being like to describe the reason why there's 80% or 90% white men in power is to go backwards and look at what the power structures no, were. No, but we didn't talk about people, we didn't talk about the effects of networking though. We didn't talk about no, the effects. No, we didn't of, talk about those things. Yeah. Which is why we need to have them back on, which yeah, is Yeah, we didn't even talk about our core product. Yeah. I mean, we talked about some of that stuff. No, that no, was no. the weirdest and yet, mo- most enlightening. Not good enlightening. Game I feel like I would we've ever per played. Se. I mean, like, no, look. I enjoyed nobody, it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Nobody on the ESG, like S&P Global's ESG podcast, is not going to have Vivek on, right? Can I say this but before you wrap? Before you incoherently wrap up, can I say this? If you are yeah. on the ESG side of things, if you are on the the anti Vivek side of things, let's say, and you too have. A, Passionate opinion opinions. Come join us. Join come on. us. We Let's love talk. this. This is the yeah, greatest time ever. That's Damian Rollins. I'm Matt Muscardi. Join us tomorrow as we wrap up the week. Big thanks to Vivek Ramaswamy for showing up and debating with us. It's what it was. It was a debate. Next time, maybe we'll have more fun or we'll just debate more. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.